You're listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. In the blue corner, we've got Mr. Carl supporting Tottenham. In the red corner, we've got Mr. Kenner's supporting Arsenal. Together, they will be discussing all of your football views, all of your football news. So join us here on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Hello and welcome to another edition of Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. Oh, Jeff, what a weekend of football we've just enjoyed. It was strange, wasn't it? But well, no, it wasn't strange because it's become the new norm, hasn't it? Yeah, we were saying on the radio show we do for 93.6 Global Radio on the Costa del Sol on Saturday that you just can't predict any of the results. None no. of it made any sense. No, none of it makes any sense at all. And I think it's a good thing. It is. I mean, let's start off with the sort of, I suppose, research. Of a resurgence of Everton because they've been dreadful. They sacked their manager Silver. Um, mm. We've been saying for a long time that it's well overdue. They've appointed Duncan Ferguson, who's of course a Everton legend, isn't he? Yeah. Fantastic player. He was. I don't think he's been playing for about twelve years or maybe more. Everton suddenly started to play and beat Chelsea. Yes. Three-one. Chelsea are in third place in the league. They were helped by Man City losing. We'll come to that in a moment. But Chelsea really would have expected, I suppose, earlier in the season to have come away with at least a point from that. But they were well beaten. Yeah, well, it, if you remember um, last week on this podcast, I predicted a Chelsea win. So <laughs> yes, it's, yeah, I think it's ev- a big surprise to me. Yeah, I think everybody predicted a Chelsea win. I think everybody predicted a lot of different things that didn't happen. Mm. But let's start with the end of that game because I was telling you before that there's a, a video clip going around of Duncan Ferguson addressing, if you like, every edge of the ground every corner of the ground shouting come on and Everton and they're all singing his name the Everton fans of course it sends a relief I suppose around Goodison beating Chelsea is a big thing anyway getting three points is a big thing well yeah <laughs> for absolutely. Everton uh, an unusual thing as, but has he got what it takes well time will tell and I mean the things that he has going for him the things in his favour he's very he is a football man isn't he he's a football man and players would you you love playing for somebody like that and he will get them motivated to deliver on the pitch because they're, you know, they're not a bad squad. You look at that squad, they've got good players all over the pitch. They've got some very good players. We'll talk about them in a moment. But for me, the passion that he... he we watched the game while we mm. were doing the radio show. He was kicking every ball, making every oh, tackle. Yeah. He would have loved to have got some boots on. And I think he kind of, he's been on the, the training staff, for a, a coaching staff for a while at Everton he already has, yeah, yeah. Um, since he gave up playing. But I really felt that that game, he wanted to get some boots on and play. But the passion he showed was a breath of fresh air for Everton. But passion's kind of like the fuel you put in the car, and the car is the tactics. Yeah. So you don't... I mean, maybe they'll they'll be able to walk a few games, but you won't get very far without the tactics, and I'm not sure he's... Is he qualified? He has been on the coaching staff, like I say. Yeah. So he's not new to coaching. No, I mean, he, he's got his badges and stuff, and all you can say is that time will tell. They've been sensible in saying that y- your appointment lasts until the end of the season or until they find someone else. Fine. So give him the chance to succeed or fail, make a decision at the end of the season when they've they've got half a season's worth of results, they'll know how good he is. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to see him stick with him because it, the, the, the constant changing of managers everywhere, like at Watford, which we'll come yeah. to in a moment, the constant changing of managers is no good for the players or the fans. And he did show that great passion. They did beat they beat Chelsea well. It wasn't like a couple of lucky goals went no, in. No, it wasn't a fluke result. They outplayed you know, Chelsea. I mean, yeah. they were 2-0 up. 
Chelsea got a goal back and I on, I honestly thought, oh, well, that's it now. They've played three quarters of a game. They've run out of steam. They've run out of know-how. And Chelsea will now overpower them. They've got one back. But actually, Everton kept attacking and got one more, yeah, exactly. which is a different sort of way of approaching things from Everton. But will he, has he got the tactical now? As you say, he has got his coaching badges, though. So, well, who's, you know, who knows? But all, it, all we can do is, is wait and find out. Yeah, it's probably a very big step from being an assistant coach or assistant to the assistant. Yeah. You know, because Everton would like to call themselves a big club, I think. Oh, I think they are a big club, but you've got to actually deliver the results on the pitch to back it up, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible result, though. Everton 3, Chelsea 1. Yeah. And it mixes things up, much as uh, Manchester, the Manchester derby, which mm. took everybody else, everybody by surprise as well. Man United storming into a 2-0 lead after whatever it was, nine minutes. or No, 19 minutes, I think it was. I, w- I mean, I was surprised to see United scoring at City, let alone winning. Manchester United have been playing... Every other game, they've been playing very well. And, and the players who've been playing best are the two, the two big ones that Mourinho want, wanted and was trying to get rid of, Rashford and Martial. Mm. And, and they seem to be delivering. But what, what hasn't happened for Manchester United yet is any sort of con- consistency. Because you look at their performance against Villa, a, a draw. Yep. Their, their performance previous week against Sheffield United, 3-3, where you know Manchester United were on top for 10 minutes in that game. And, and for you know three quarters of the game, they couldn't lay a glove on Sheffield United. They outplayed them completely. So we've yet to see any sort of consistency. But then that consistency argument applies across the whole, <coughs> the whole of the league, with the exception of Liverpool, who are the only consistent team in there. Yeah, I mean, you've got Tottenham under Mourinho, you know, winning games. I mean, it's, what is it, four games in charge now. Winning games coming from behind against Olympiacos. Mm. Then go to Man United, his old team, with so much to prove uh, midweek last week and then losing that game. Yeah. Uh, and then Man United went on and beat City and Tottenham then went on and beat Burnley 5-0. Yeah. Which, and Burnley were lucky to get nil. But we'll talk about that in a moment. But you've said about the incon- sort of, not inconsistency, but the fact that only Liverpool are consistent. Something's changed. Yeah, well, I think what the, the obvious thing that's changed is, is the TV revenue money. The, the last increase was so big that now it's it's leveled the playing field because wages players wages haven't gone up to by the same amount as the the TV revenues gone up so it's had the effect of now almost every club can afford these really really good players now maybe only the the top ones can afford the very very top players but it, it's definitely evened it out and you know we I think we've gone back to the 1970s, if you like, where anyone can beat anyone mm. except Liverpool. Yes, and li- yeah, the, this is the Liverpool of the 70s in that sense, or the league of the 70s. Mm. I mean, like I said, you've got Tottenham Louvers losing at Manchester United, who've been poor for the last few seasons. Yeah. Tottenham have been consistently top four now, down there in seventh or eighth place, but improving uh, rapidly under Mourinho. The results are all over the place. You know, you've got yeah. Sheffield United beating people in and then losing at home when they shouldn't be. And then you've got Brighton beating Arsenal away. Uh, Arsenal were manager- managerless at the time, but results that shouldn't be happening. I mean, the bookmakers will be having a field day. Oh, I, I would imagine so, yeah. But, but I think that's what happens when you have a level playing field. Mm. Now, anyone can, can beat anyone. And, and we're back to, to where we used to be. So you know, I'm very, very happy for that. But not helping West Ham very much because our no. manager's useless. But there we go. But look at Manchester United and their lack of consistency. So they, they played really well against City. They were outplayed by Sheffield United. They got a draw at Aston Villa. So, I mean, Sheffield United, who they fielded a reserve team keeper, 
because their normal keeper was, was a loanee from Manchester United, so Man United wouldn't let him play. And a centre, 37-year-old centre-back who hadn't started a game in 18 months. Yeah. And Sheffield United played them off the pitch. And yet you, you then turn around and say, look at that performance against Manchester City. I think there is a thread in there somewhere, and I, I think it's this. Chris Wilder at Sheffield United sets his team up to be the best it can possibly be. Guardiola doesn't do that. Guardiola always sets his team up to beat the people he's playing against. It's an essential, essentially reactive thing. And this is why he's, he's come un, unstuck in the semi-finals of the Champions League. So instead of him sending the, those attacking players from City out saying, OK, boys, just go and have fun... And they'll, you know, they'll win 5-3. It's, oh, I must stop this player or I must stop that player. And so they're not, be they're not behaving naturally. And I think that's oh. the issue. Something I read this morning, actually, before we uh, came to do the show. Is that sort of something that Lundberg at Arsenal, a temporary manager, interim manager mm. at Arsenal, said after they finally you know, won a game yesterday against your team, West yeah. Ham? We'll mm. come to that in a moment. Uh, he said he's taking and approaching one game at a time individually. Is that a mistake then? Well, I don't know if, if it's a mistake. I mean, only time will tell if it's a mistake or not. But uh, I, I think it's a question of focus. Are you focusing on your team being the best it can be, which is what Chris Wilder at Sheffield United is doing and some of the other um, supposedly lesser managers are, are doing? Or are you setting yourself up to defend against... Some, not, not be defensive in the sense that Mourinho parts the bus, that sort of thing. Mm. But, OK, we're going to try and nullify that threat and we're going to try and eliminate that threat. Well, no, you just go and do what you do and do it very well. And, you know, every, everyone says they take a, a game at a time. Of course they do. You, you don't have any choice because they only come one at a time. Yeah. I mean, something that I've heard Wilder say and Brendan Rodgers at Leicester and other managers of that ilk, actually, that when they're asked, you know, are you going to change your game against Liverpool or, the, you know, the top teams? And they always answer, no, we're going to play like we always yeah. play. We can't, we don't know any other way. That's our style. And teams that do well or do better than they should, I think, like Leicester, mm. like Sheffield United, are those that play like they always play without... Yeah. I mean, obviously, you've got to, you know, change it slightly. You know, you've got to mark Aguero in a different way that you'd mark somebody else. But they, they play as a team. And that, I think that's that's why you see, I mean, Brighton as well, actually, who, yes. you know, Steve Kenners Kenton of this podcast has said he thought they'd go down this season. I think that, I mean, you know, they, they beat his team Arsenal. Yeah, no, but, but um, Potter is a very, very good manager. He's got a great track record. You look at his results. He's, he's very, very good at getting the most he can get out of the players that he has available to him. And they've never been the very top players. Basically, they're playing the Brighton way yes. or the Potter way or the Wilder way at Sheffield yeah. United and they don't change too much. Obviously, they, which is why Steve said he thought they might go down is they will come up against teams that will beat them oh, and thrash them and it may be a problem and they won't get enough points but they're not going to change their style too much. I mean, there is such a thing as the West Ham way, isn't there, oh, for example? Very, very much so, yeah. And sometimes it doesn't work for you and you get relegated. Yeah, you get relegated, yeah. That's Even when you're quite good. It, well, West Ham is the best team that's ever been relegated from the from the Premier League, yeah. Yeah, well, let's, um, let's just turn our attention to the Arsenal and West Ham game. First of all, to go back a little bit in time, something that shocked me, <laughs> and we discussed it on the radio show last Saturday, is they've put Lundberg in charge at Arsenal... Uh, they lost at, to Brighton at Arsenal mm -hmm. last week. They were losing 2-1. Uh, the minutes to go, Aubameyang uh, ran off the pitch. 
ran off the pitch, down the tunnel, into the dressing room, went to the toilet and ran back on the pitch. When asked about it afterwards, the manager, interim manager of Arsenal, the team that were losing with minutes to go, said he hadn't noticed the player had left the field of play. Now, I don't know who says, what that says about whom. Does that mean that Abamayang was making such a little difference to the team that it wasn't noticeable he wasn't there? Or Lundberg is not such a great manager that he, he didn't notice he only had 10 men on the field while they tried to win a game? I don't know what it says, but it says something weird. Well, it doesn't say anything very good about Lundberg, does it? No, not to me it doesn't, um, no. Um, one other thing that must have happened in, in that, in that um, scenario is that Aubameyang must have asked for the referee's permission. Yeah, of course, he doesn't, he doesn't just a, walk off. It, yeah. It's a booking offence to, to leave the field without the referee's permission. Which makes it even, I mean, literally, almost literally, it was flagged up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how Lundberg missed that one. Well, um, you think you'd notice your centre-forward isn't on the pitch. Yeah, it's another, another you know, interesting fact, as I was looking this morning at, because Jamie Vardy, again, scored two goals uh, this week. Uh, looking at the uh, top scorers in the Premier League, he is the top scorer, 16 goals. So Jamie Vardy... D- did what Jamie Vardy does. Yeah, I mean, he's incredible. We'll he talk about that. But yes. Abba Miyang is ac- he's actually something like uh, joint second with 11 goals, mm. despite the fact he's playing for Arsenal in, in a team that is all over the place. Harry Kane, I think, has got nine, somewhere down in fifth or sixth place, along with Rashford. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got players playing in inconsistent teams that are consistently scoring. Yes, but uh, if you remember last week, we, we had a quick run through the, the Arsenal squad and yes. he was one of the what was it, four or five players who could get into any, any top four team in, in any of the major leagues. So the fact that he's scored so many goals, right, uh, he, yes, he should because he's that sort of player. The problem Arsenal have, of course, is that they don't have eno- enough support players who are good enough. So they're not chipping in with the goals mm. from midfield and all the rest of it, which is, is what you need. Look at the teams that win the league. It's not just that they, the, the main goal scorer gets 25 or 30 goals. How many goals do they get from midfield? You know, mm. That's often the key. That's it. I mean, Abameyang probably holding holding Arsenal together yeah. in many ways, even if he does nip out to go to the loop. Newcastle have suddenly started to play. They have, yeah. But most of their goals are coming from defenders and some wag on Twitter put, imagine how many goals Newcastle's defence would get if they were playing against Newcastle's defence. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think kind of sums it up, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they, certainly the the guy, Joe Linton, that they spent £42 million on was, was never the answer, never going to score many goals because he mm. never has. Even in the, you know, the the dizzying heights of the Austrian Premier League. <laughs> he, he never got more than one one goal per four appearances. Mm. So he was never going to be the answer in the Premier League. So they need to be scoring from other play, other places. Absolutely. Well, talking of Jamie Vardy and 16 goals in, in 14 games or whatever it is, and yeah. you know, scoring two nearly every game, last few games, that kind of, I believe, leads us on to your trivia question for today. Yeah, there, there are lots of players who've scored a lot of goals in one match. So the question is, who scored the most number of goals in one league match in English Football League history? So it's, who, who is it and how many goals did he All score right. in one match? All right, that's, a, that's an interesting one. Um, we'll come to that answer at the end of the show. We've got a lot to get through, though, before then. So West Ham in all sorts of trouble now. I mean, you know, yeah. you, beat, you beat Chelsea away. Yes. Everybody thought, oh, is this a turning point? Or are Chelsea in some, having a, a few problems? Again, by the way, Tammy Abraham uh, of Chelsea is among the top scorers in the league. So they've also got people spanging the goals in. But we thought maybe that was Chelsea in trouble. They did lose again to Everton. But it's more to do with West Ham? Oh, well, it's to do with the manager. 
and if you look put the the West Ham teams side by side player by player next to the Arsenal team and say which is which are the best players and West Ham come out ahead it's a ridiculously talented squad that apart from the defense where we have got a good left back and Diop as centre back who every club in Europe including Manchester United wanted in the summer so something has has gone badly wrong there the the, the creative players like Lanzini and Anderson and Yarmolenko they they're not taking players on they're not being creative they're they're looking for the safe ball all the time as, oh. as if they're scared of making a mistake that's just not good enough you they're on the pitch to to attack and create things and they're not doing it and for there to be so many of them, in fact, the whole team doing it, it's got to go back to the manager. They're not playing for the manager. Yeah, it's, it's a trend that's not one or two players. It, you, you mean it's kind of like the manager's instilled that across the board and it's it's not working at all. And talking of the board, um, I was reading this morning, early morning, um, according to Sky Sports, they and by the time this podcast comes out uh, or by the time you're <laughs> listening to it, they may have already happened, but the West Ham board are meeting today to discuss Pellegrini's future, although they have said that they're very reluctant to be in the search for a new manager before the end of the season. But the fact that they're actually meeting, and it is public knowledge that they're meeting today to discuss his future, kind of sounds like he hasn't got one. Well, of course not. As soon as you you start having that conversation, you, you've made the decision, haven't you? We, we go back to some of the other other management changes. It's like married couple having a a weekend in Paris to try and kindle the you know, yes. the, the flames of passion. Well, okay, so that happens, and then in three months' time, you're having to go to Florence for a weekend. And yeah. then, you know, it's just it's once, nonsense. Once yeah. you recognise that, it, the game's over, isn't it? So yeah. the question is, who is available, and who can they get? Yeah, I mean, once once you're in couples therapy, you're yeah. weeks away from no longer being a couple. Yeah. I think really. I, I mean, mean I, I I would love um, Henry Hewton. I think he'd be a great manager. Uh, Eddie Howe would be a great manager. And we could both would be good West Ham managers. Both would they go though? Yeah, I think both of them would go. Yeah. Is it, I mean, from Bournemouth to West Ham, is it a step up? Oh, it's definitely a step up. Yeah, yeah. History-wise, looking at the, the yeah, size of and, the club, possibly in, it is. In terms of size of the club, yeah, it's a step up and, and a chance for certainly for Howe to show that he can manage a big club. So, you know, OK, West Ham aren't in the you know top six big clubs, but he's got to get to the point where it's not it, where the step up to those top six is not stupid. And, uh, and obviously the directors of those top six clubs think it's too big a step at the moment. Otherwise, he would have been appointed by Tottenham, who really is the appointment they should have made. Yeah. Well, look, let's have a little chat about my team, Tottenham, because if you haven't seen it, as Jeff often points out, the best way to check these things out is to go to YouTube and have a look. Son for Tottenham scored a great individual goal. I know you've got a slightly different take on it from me. I've watched it several times. From his own half, from deep into his own in his own half, receives a pass and then goes all the way to the opposition box and scores uh, a fantastic individual mazy run, as they call it. You did say to me that he'd, nobody tried to tackle him. Mm. He was though so fast that as soon as the player was approaching him or in front of him, he cut the ball to the left or the right of the player. The ball went streaming past the player and so did Son. And I think his speed was what beat them. Possibly the fact that they were so shocked he was coming at them at such speed. Possibly the fact that Burnley weren't good enough to stop him. But it was an incredible individual goal. Um, it, it was. And I fully expected at least one, probably more than one, of those Burnley defenders to foul him, to stop him. And they didn't, which was a big surprise to me. Yeah, I suppose that a foul would have been the only way. to Take one for the team, as they say. But Tottenham 5-0 at home. 
against Burnley. Burnley are a decent side. Burnley a good team. Yeah. They're a good team. Um, you don't expect, nobody expects to beat them 5-0. I don't think Man City or Liverpool would expect to beat them 5-0. No. Very strange because even when they're 3-0 up and 4-0 up, Tottenham kept attacking. And again, we've said it before, but this doesn't look like a Mourinho team. Does it look like the fact that Mourinho's inherited a team that can do that? And he's just had to say to himself, well, I'm going to have to play with that and work with that because you've got to work with your strengths. And the strength is not in defence, is it? No, and and I, I think you, you could argue, you, you can look at that Tottenham side and say, well, Mourinho hasn't really done anything very much. And, and I don't mm. think he has, except he put Dele Alli, Son, Luka Mora mm. and Kane on the pitch together. And, uh, and that is a great a difference. Yeah. difference yeah. And the other strange thing is that uh, in in the last four games, Sissoko has scored two goals. Mm. Previous to that, he scored one in over a hundred appearances. <laughs> he yeah. scored two mm. in four, and previous to that, one in three seasons. Yeah, so something he suddenly got Sissoko, who Tottenham fans, me included, thought was a good buy, but he's just flattered to deceive, and he's not quite got there. Suddenly, he's, he's doing what he's... I mean, it's fantastic. Well, they always used to say he had altitude sickness. As soon as he got that high up the yeah. pitch, he'd, he'd go, go <laughs> all the way and, <laughs> and presumably Mourinho's come along with the tablets that, that cure that. So. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an incredible thing. I mean, he may never score again for another three seasons, I don't know, but the statistic currently stands. The other thing that uh, is interesting is that Eric Dyer, who has been injured but was Mm. also out of favour with Pochettino, we've played four, lost one. The one we lost was the only game Eric Dyer didn't start in. He's a very, very good holding midfield player. He's shown that over the years. I mean, Mm. he's a very, very good player. So I I don't know what happened with with Pochettino at Tottenham and, and him. I mean, he clearly had he was out of favour for some reason, but he's a very good player. Yeah, the other one is, of course, Ericsson, slightly sidelined by, well, by Pochettino as well, to be fair, but also by Mourinho, who came out during the week and said a very Alex Ferguson-type thing, and quite right. I mean, you know, anybody would expect a manager to say this. He said, I've spoken to the player. I'm not, he said, I'm not going to tell you what the result of the conversation is out of respect to the player, which to me sounds like he's going, but he said, I've spoken to the player and I have told him that no player is bigger than the club and the club is the most important thing and if a player wants to leave or is not happy then he has to leave because the club will move on without him and I think good because it's about time somebody put him in his place and for the good of the player as well because he's been a good servant he should move on now they are saying they want 40 million for him but going to accept 25 so they're going to accept 50 million less than they were prepared to accept in the summer exactly they could have got rid of him in the summer for 80 million or whatever so 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 where, where does this leave Mr. Levy's brilliant, brilliant business brain then? Yeah, one wonders, did Pochettino beg him to keep, beg Levy, let's keep Ericsson, I need him, and it was a wrong decision, or did Levy want to hold on for 81 million? Yeah. You know, we don't know, but it, either way, it's not worked out well for anybody. The suggestion was always, I mean, very, very strong suggestion, that, which was coming from Real Madrid, that the directors of Real Madrid wanted Ericsson. The manager of Real Madrid wanted Pogba. And until the Pogba situation at Manchester United was sorted out, then one way or the other, then they weren't going to Real Madrid weren't going to make a decision on Ericsson. So he was always waiting for that. It's going to cost Tottenham fifty million. We are a couple of weeks away, isn't it? Almost two, three weeks away from the January transfer window. Not the best time to buy a top 
class player, I don't think. But Ericsson could be on could be on the move. Pogba could be on the move. Gareth Bale's agent this week said that Gareth is not ecstatic. Those are his exact words. Not ecstatic at Real Madrid, but he's always on time for training. He always trains hard. He always works hard on the pitch. All this talk about playing golf is ridiculous that he's being lambasted for having, having a hobby out of work time. Having, um, having a hobby that is the hobby of choice for professional footballers, yeah. Yeah, and is also healthy. Yeah. Well, he's stupid. Ridiculous. Yeah. Point being, my point being, Gareth, you know, he kind of had a move to China blocked in the summer when Zidane and everybody changed their mind about changed their minds about selling him. Is there still a chance he could come to the Premier League? If Ericsson goes, would he go to Tottenham? Would they have him? And would he want to go? Or would he go to United? Oh. Manchester United. <laughs> I would have thought that for personal reasons he'd prefer to go to Manchester United because Mourinho is at Tottenham. So you don't think he'd want to be with Mourinho? I don't think so, no. Why do you think that then? They're just, just Well, he's, he's not a, a Mourinho-type player. Mm. And you look at the players that Mourinho's had like him and he, he, he doesn't like them and he lets it be known that he doesn't like them. I would have thought it would be more likely to go to Manchester United. Yeah. And the, the most likely deal, I think, is, is one that's Pogba, Bale and money going the, to make up the balance somehow. That would make sense. Mourinho sort of talked down the idea of, first of all, Ibrahimovic going to Tottenham because there was talk of that as a, as well, a you know, back up for, for, for Kane. I mean, you know, he's even too old for Mourinho. Um, mm. But he's, he's talked down talk of that. Distanced himself from the Bale talk as well. These people know more than we do. We're speculating, yes. of course. I mean, I did hear about two months ago that the deal that there has is already in place a deal regarding Pogba going somewhere and the reason that he's not playing for Manchester United is that part of the deal was that he wouldn't play more than four matches between that time and Christmas then that's why we've not seen him on the pitch it's not yes. not this uh, suspicious well, injury well, nobody knows what the injury is and nobody knows when it happened no, nobody saw it. But all of a sudden, apparently, there is one. And yeah, I mean, that, that happens a lot, doesn't it? Especially pre-international games, pre-friendlies. A lot of, uh, under Alex Ferguson, a lot of players suddenly got mysterious injuries, yes, didn't the they? The Ryan Giggs situation. Yeah, yeah Ryan Giggs. Never, never ill during the season, just suddenly uh, yeah, during... Just the week before international. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very strange. Can we just move on? I just want to have a little talk about this, because it came up in the news this week, about Russia being banned from... And I'm quoting here the, the ruling, all major sporting events for the next forward, uh, four years. That includes, of course, the 2022 World Cup, uh, which is in Qatar. Uh, that's if they qualify. And which, by the way, they can yeah. still enter the qualifying stages. They're just not allowed at the final. So I don't know what the point is. But they're not allowed to, to play under the Russian flag. They're not allowed to have the anthem being played there. So they can play as kind of, I don't know, independence uh, un under a sort of neutral flag. But it doesn't include the Euros. They're banned from all major sporting competitions apart from the Euros because UEFA, who obviously organise the Euros, are not seen as a major events organisation. Now, to me, the Euros, apart from the World Cup, is one of the biggest sporting well, events the in second, the world. Second biggest. Isn't yeah, it? it's got to be. I mean, of course, there's the South American tournaments and the, you know, the Asian, Tour, Asian Cup and everything. Well, but it's right like, up there, isn't it? Take, take the Euros. Add Argentina, Uruguay and Brazil and you've got the World Cup. Pretty much, yeah. The other thing is, of course, in the Euro, St. Petersburg is going to be hosting two of the, uh, two of the games. My prediction now is that, is that by the time these things come around, there will be no ban at all. And they'll, be, they'll, they'll, be allowed, they'll be allowed to play as Russia. Yeah. yeah. The, the money will change hands and everything will be forgotten. The, yes, the money will change. I mean, or, you know, they'll influence the vote. 
<laughs> uh, we won't get too too deeply into that, however. Yeah, so that's Russia temporarily banned from major sports. So that's the Olympics out. Yeah. That's the World Cup out. They will be in all of them. Do you think they'll be in all yeah. of them? All right. So before we uh, move on to games coming up this weekend and beyond, I just want to mention very briefly something that I saw in the, in the papers this week. Newcastle United, who are, you know, to always call themselves a big club, you know, big support, all that, yeah. are offering half-season season tickets, because we're halfway through the season. Yeah. Uh, they are offering free season tickets for the rest of the season in, in an attempt to fill the stadium. Now, we've talked about Arsenal, who are notorious for declaring figures far higher than... A, they declare seats sold rather than attendance, obviously. Mm. So, you know, people buy a season ticket for however many thousands it is. They don't go to every game. There are empty seats. The other week uh, in the European Games, you know, the 25,000 there, um, almost empty. So stadiums are emptying a bit, well, or uh, not. Well, uh, do you think that this might be some of the protests that Newcastle fans have been making against Ashby, just just not going? Because I, th I think it might be. I mean, you, you know, you and I met in Moscow, but there's Spartak Moscow are going through a similar sort of pro protest at the moment. They played Rostov at the weekend, and at half-time, all the crowd walked out, including the Rostov supporters. So the Rostov supporters this travelled a 1,000 miles... I was going to say, it's a long way. To watch, ...to watch half a match and supported... The, the Spartak Moscow supporters. They all right, walked right, out. They all walked out. Well, and that's, this has been happening. That is fantastic fan solidarity. My only comment about that is, what protest are you making having already paid for having the ticket? Having already given the owners the money for the ticket, yeah. Yeah, exactly. the club have got your money. They don't... I mean, you mm. know, the, you're not there at the, at the final whistle. They've got less time... You know, they don't have to clear up after you. They've got... Yeah, so it, it, it does look embarrassing on television, doesn't it's it? It's significant in the sense that it, yeah, it does look embarrassing. And it, it, listen, we're talking about it 3,000 miles away, whatever it is. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, has, it has had some sort of an impact. So there, yeah, it's the Ashley thing. With Arsenal, I just wanted to mention very briefly again that uh, Arsenal Fan TV, uh, with Robbie Lyle, the presenter, again, you know, the, the fans protesting and Lundberg out, and it was Emery out. And even mm. when they're winning... That yes, they're complaining. But Arsenal have always been like that, haven't they? It's a strange thing. Arsenal yeah. fans are, are famous for justifiably famous for picking on one of their own and making their lives hell. And yeah. they've done it. The very, very first professional football match I went to was Arsenal Sunderland. It was a nil-nil draw, and the Arsenal fans were having a go at John Samuels, who was a great inside forward. They hated him, and I couldn't. I was standing there watching. I thought he was playing really well. Yeah, and it's, I it's weird. couldn't understand what it is. But Arsenal fans have always been like that. Yeah, I just wanted to men mention it very briefly because Steve Kenners Kenton sent me a message the other day regarding the uh, Arsenal fan TV thing because I watch it because it's, it's wonderful mm. as a Tottenham fan. But as a Tottenham fan, you know, throughout my life, Tottenham have generally been in Arsenal's shadow until very recent years in many ways. Yes. Um, you know, league position-wise. Tottenham fans spend a lot less time talking about Arsenal than Arsenal fans oh, do yeah, about talking about Tottenham. Yeah. They talk about Tottenham a lot and how bad Arsenal are and how much they hate Arsenal. It's a toxic, toxic atmosphere there mm. among the fans that seems to spill out onto this Arsenal fan TV thing. And Emery said two games before the end of his reign that the Arsenal fans need to start getting behind the team. I don't think that was why they were losing, not because of the fans, because, you know, they've, they've won... Premier Leagues with the fans being like that. There is there is something very strange with that whole atmosphere. There, there, there is something quite strange. I mean, there are always players in 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 various teams that 
that are the, the, the butt of jokes, you know, like uh, like at Tottenham, Ian Moores. Yes, remember, yeah, of remember course. Ian so. Moores, who came from Stoke, and, and after scoring four goals on his debut or whatever it was, he then spent the rest of the f- season falling over every time he got the ball. So Tottenham fans nicknamed him the Blamange. Right. And and whenever a midfielder got the ball, they'd be shouting, give it to Blamange, give it to Blamange. <laughs> and, of course, he'd receive the pass and fall over, and the, the, yes. the stadium would erupt, and the commentators on TV wouldn't understand what was happening. <laughs> But, but that was all sort of fun. Yeah, that, that's it was just, a joke. Yeah, and I, I've never known any other club have this thing for hating their, their own, the way that Arsenal yeah. fans do. I mean, it's like when you get you get we've had them at so many at Tottenham, but you've got a midfielder who's notoriously bad at shooting, and as soon as he gets the ball on the halfway line, they're shouting "shoot, shoot!" shoot. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny because it's almost a it's a self-deprecation yeah, love exactly. of one of your own. But when you're when there's that sort of toxicity, um, yeah, but I think it's weird. Maybe the, maybe the issue is is the difference which you you alluded to that. At Tottenham and like West Ham and most clubs, there isn't this expectation of winning. Maybe that's winning, what it is. Winning is a good thing that happens. There's no expectation of it, and so and these self-proclaimed big clubs, they they're supposed to all have this big, oh, you know, like entitlement to win. They're pissed off when they don't win, whereas you know when our team doesn't win, oh, okay, you know, there's always next week, and and so you look forward to next week. Yeah, maybe that maybe that's what it is. Is that you know Tottenham did kind of well win, lose or draw, but at Arsenal they they did have a sustained period of success. Yes. And then that now you know when that's that's gone that's gone a little bit sour, and gone a little bit wrong. You know because every team goes through yeah you know ups and downs. Yeah, and they don't have the self-deprecating humour to fall back on. Yeah, they, there's no coping mechanism no. because they've never had to go through it before. Yeah. You know, like a mate of mine uh, who's a Leeds fan has always used that, that famous line, it's the hope that kills you. you Absolutely. You can put up with the depression and the uh, the, yeah. the disappointment. And it's, it, you probably need that to, to help you get through. Yeah, very much so, yeah. All right, let's turn our attention, shall we, to the uh, games coming up this weekend. Uh, because, as we say, it's, it's been a very sort of weird set of results this season. As you say, you know, things are evening out. But uh, yeah. the early game on Saturday is Liverpool against Watford. Top against bottom. Should you be. Know? Should <laughs> be. Home win. Yeah, this is the exception that proves the rule. There aren't some strange results going on in that game. That'll be an easy Liverpool win. Burnley against Newcastle United. Resurgent uh, Newcastle. Burnley, of course, suffering that 5-0 defeat to Tottenham. But evenly matched teams right now, middle of the table, almost. Yeah, but you'd have to expect Sean Dyche to Burnley to get their act together. So I'll go for a home win there. Yes, I, I, t- I think I'm going to agree with you. I think Burnley will have to do something after that yes. hammering by Tottenham. Yeah. Chelsea against Bournemouth. Again, Chelsea lo- losing to Everton mm. un- uh, unexpectedly. Yes. They are at home. Decent home record. They did le- lose to West Ham. They, sh- they should win, shouldn't they? Yeah, I think home so. Win. And then, well, Leicester City against Norwich. In any other season, you know, Leicester would be winning the league. Jamie mm. Vardy, top scorer in the league. Leicester, um, I think, was something like... He scored in 11 games in a row. They're unbeaten in nine. Leicester against Norwich, surely that's a Leicester win. Yeah, I'm sure it is, yeah. Again, yeah. though, they've got to stop winning at some point, surely. Yeah, no, but, but against Norwich. Not against no. Norwich. Two teams that came up, Sheffield United against Aston Villa. Yeah, draw. A draw, yeah. 2-2. And then your team, West Ham United, are away at Southampton. I'm going to go for a West Ham win. They've got to, Someone's got to give them a kick up the backside and start playing. They have, and maybe by... By Saturday, they'll have a new manager. We don't know. Uh, if you're listening after Saturday, you'll know. Uh, on Sunday, Manchester United against Everton. Yeah, it depends which Manchester United turn up, doesn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, that really could uh, go either way. Go for a draw there. All right, I'm going to go for a Manchester United 
Oh, I don't know. Win. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Wolves against Tottenham. Oh, that'll be a good game. Won't that it? will be a good game. I've seen some great games, high-scoring games between those teams over the years. Wolves prefer to counter-attack, so playing Tottenham uh, the way Tottenham are playing at the moment will suit them down to the ground. Mm. I'll go for a home win there. All right, I'll go for a away win, just because you said... No, because I'm a Tottenham fan, and I think we've got it in us. Arsenal against Manchester City. Now, Arsenal finally won a game, third game uh, yeah. under Lundberg, beat your team West Ham, but against Manchester City, who got beaten by United, they won't lose two in a row, Man City. No, uh, uh, you can't see that, can you? No, Manchester no. City to win that. So we're going to say Man City away win at Arsenal. Yeah. On Monday, Crystal Palace against Brighton. Mm. Again, that's one of those... Home like, win. Home win, I think. Just, I think. Just, though. Yeah, but that is a tasty little derby there because those two, those two teams are very close to each other. But certainly, well... It's sort it, of. It's sort of. It's not far. It's not far on the train, but they hate each other. Yeah. They really hate each other, the fans, anyway. But that'll be a tasty game. But I think probably you think Palace have got too much it for yes, in Palace them. Palace should have too much. Those are the games coming up. We've just about run out of time, but uh, let's have a little look at your quiz question and the answer. Okay, the, the question was, who has scored the most goals in one match in the league, in English Football League history? So who, who was it and how many goals? And the answer was, it was Robert Bell of Tranmere against Oldham in 1935, <laughs> and he scored nine. Nine goals in one nine game? Nine goals in one game. Wow, and don't tell me it was a substitute in the 79th minute. No. no. <laughs> but that's incredible. What was his t- Give him another name check. I think he deserves it. Um, Robert Bell of Tranmere Rovers against Oldham in 1935. Nine, well, nine goals. Nine goals in one game. Brilliant yeah. stuff. That's all we've got time for. So much happening in the Premier League and beyond. We'll be back next week. Thank you. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. Uh, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more Carl and Kenners hitting the bar. You've been listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Join us again next week for more of their twisted football news, all of their weird football views. You can find them here every week on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. We'll see you again shortly.